who you ask, it's probably safe to say that over the years, the Chief Information Officers or, or their equivalents and other C-level execs uh, have, had, have had somewhat of a love-hate relationship. In the past, the IT group has been viewed as a cost centre that is prone to overspending on tech projects and worse, asking for money for equipment and services that may not end up delivering any value to the business at all. And that's a bad situation for everyone involved. But in recent times, things have changed. In 2021, technology is more pervasive across organisations than it ever has been. And senior tech execs are well and truly in positions of power, where their opinions and ideas are shared at board level and form a vital part of any organisation's growth objectives. Hello, I'm Byron Connolly, the Editor-in-Chief of CO Australia, and welcome to the CO Show. This week in our C-Suite Face-Off, execs from a few sides of the C-Suite fence share their thoughts on how their relationships have changed. Joining me is Rowan Dollar, the Chief Innovation Officer at the Public Sector Network, James Lockyer, the Director of Finance at Arts Centre Melbourne, Bobby Lahane, the former Chief Executive Officer at CHU Underwriting Agencies, and Shweta Mira, the Chief Marketing Officer at ANZ Bank. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CO Show. Hello. Great to have you all here. Now, Rowan, I'm going to start with you as our, as our um, CIO guest. You've got plenty of experience as a senior tech exec in government. In addition to your current role, you were the CIO at South Australia Department of Human Services. You've been the CIO of the Northern Territory Government. How has your relationship with the rest of the C-suite, um, particularly the CFO and CEO uh, positions changed in recent times? Um, oh, fairly dramatically, I think. Um, the, uh, you know, certainly over the last 18 months um, during the, uh, the COVID crisis, and I just thought I'd be the first person to mention uh, COVID, um, is that, uh, you know, we're, we're much more interested in outcomes and less interested in what the tech is doing. Um, now, that's left many in the IT industry well behind. Um, but as a, as a peer in the C-suite, um, I've got to understand what the rest of the business needs when they need it and preempt that conversation. Um, so I need to know what the strategy is. I need to know where the business is going and all of that kind of good stuff. But I also need to be able to read the outside world. Um, and, you know, if we hadn't been able to read um, what was happening, um, you know, in Europe back in February last year, um, I wouldn't have been able to do what I did with the tech um, uh, when the business needed it um, and sent, was able to send DHS home. Um, and to be able to be effective and efficient from home. So, um, you know, the CEO and the CFO and everybody else has been sitting there, or even the other executive directors have been looking at the tech, um, uh, in my case, the tech executive, to sit back and say, yeah, we can do that. Um, instead of being the department of no, it's been, yes, we can do that. The big learning for IT is that the business and I'll put all my all of my you know kind of peers and colleagues that are on this this, this afternoon in that group. They don't care what platform it's on. They don't care whether it's in the cloud or on prem or who's hosting it or any of the stuff that IT is interested in. Um, they just want an outcome, and and that's what I've been able to deliver. Um, you know, a number of over a number of years in, in a number of uh, roles. Um, and, you know, that's probably something I've got in common with the rest of the, the CIO top 50, um, as, as you would know, um, yeah. we, we deliver outcomes for the business. And that's the, that's the pivot. That's what's changed um, in, in certainly the last couple of years with the rest of the C-suite. How do you feel things are these days? I mean, I mentioned in my introduction that 
you know, in the past IT groups have been, you know, I've got a bit of a bad rap, mainly due to being viewed as a cost centre, as I, as I pointed out, um, and, and prone to wastage through failed projects and, and the like. Um, do you, I mean, that's clearly not a good situation if you want to get on board with the CFO and equivalent, or equivalent, but do you, do, you, do you feel that you still have to work super hard to get the funds for your tech projects or do you think the situation has improved? Oh, no, I think um, everybody's got to work hard to get funds for, for whatever area they're working in the business, whether it be, yeah. you know, marketing or whether it be running call centres or whatever it is. Um, you know, the, the CFO, well, none of the CFOs I know anyway are standing there with open purse strings saying, here you go, here's some cash. Um, so, uh, but what it, what, what it takes now is an understanding of what the business wants to see. And, um, you know, we've got to understand the business. We, we gone are the days of, of build it and they will come. Um, you know, we, I grew up in an era of IT where we would build something and say to the business, here you go. Um, here's the platform. Now, call it whatever you like, but you've got to be, um, and I, I term it small a agile, and you've got to be iterative in your approach. Is this the widget you're looking for? This is what I think you're looking for. Is this what you're looking for? And keep going through that process until you end up with the widget that the business is looking for. Um, and uh, again, they don't care what it's hosted on or what platform it's running on or whatever. They just want the outcomes and be able to use the data sets that are available to get the outcomes they want. Now, James Lockyer, you're a finance guy. I'm going to throw to you next. I mean, how, how are CEOs and their teams viewed by CFOs these days? Is it more of a collaborative approach? Um, you mentioned when we spoke the other day that I, I guess two sides of the fence are, are, work, are working better together than they ever have. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, having experienced quite a variety of sectors through my career, it, it is really noticeable. The shift in both the construct and the dynamics of um, leadership teams. And I, I probably should just call out an anomaly, and that was the, the very beginning of, of my career, 1999, uh, where I worked in a not-for-profit financial services company that was paperless. Automation was already starting to become a thing. Um, and by the mid-2000s, they had artificial intelligence and uh, like processing without human involvement. So that was a, an anomaly. The chief technologist had a seat at the exact table in that organization, but that was an anomaly in, in my yeah. career. Um, since then, the emergence of the CIO role has come about because that shift, um, you know, really building on what Rome was saying, that shift from technology being a back of house service provider to the organization to being integral in the development and delivery of the organization's strategy. And the CIO is a strategist and, and really is instrumental in all other C-suite roles succeeding. Mm. Um, IT, marketing, finance, we're all enabling functions for an organization. We've all got our subject matter expertise, um, but you can't, you can't go it alone on, on any of those um, aspects with regards to organizational strategy. So you know, it's rather like, a, it's rather like a, a musical arrangement that several coordinated rhythmic harmonic voices sound better than a whole load of solos uh, yeah. all, all going at the same time. Yeah. I mean, is there, is there why, more, why this more collaboration? Is there a need for more diversity of thought? I mean, have customer needs changed? Um, is it those two things and more? I mean, what, what is it, do you think? 
Yeah, I, I think there's a myriad of drivers, but for me, the customer is at forefront of those drivers. Customer needs have changed substantially across, across all sectors. Um, technologies transformed how customers engage in retail purchasing or how they're consuming entertainment or how they're administering their, their home affairs. Um, and so customers' needs have changed fast. They continue to change fast. And there's impatience. The customer is impatient if organizations can't keep up with what they need uh, and how they want to be interacting with you as a business. So those business problems are much more complex. They're much more time critical than they have been in the past. Um, and if an organization is going to stay ahead of the trends and remain relevant and avoid disruption, then those individual specialisms can't solve those problems in isolation and collaborate, collaboration. Adaptive leadership is more important than ever before. Um, and, and it's not just limited to the C-suite either. I think that's the really important thing. And I, I mentioned to you, Byron, when we put it up the other day, that at ACM, we've got a perfect example throughout this pandemic uh, of new ways of working and bringing together people in cross-functional teams to focus on the organization's priorities. And I think we'll see a lot more of that, both you know, in the leadership, but proliferating right the way through an organization as well. Um, and it goes without saying, if you want to remain relevant to your customers, then your organization needs to have the diversity of thought and experience in both teams and collaborative environments to make that happen. We enable any organization to use any technology. We help all companies become technology companies, protecting the identity of both workforces and customers, connecting the right people to the right technology at the right time. Okta, one trusted platform to secure every identity in your organization. And Shweta, you're a coder. So you have a, you, you clearly have a, um, a experience with IT, you have an interest in it, but you morphed into a chief marketing officer. Tell us about that at ANZ. Why, what was your drive? What were, what were the drivers for you there? Because that's very unusual, isn't it? It is. Um, but Byron, just a quick background. I was a coder in what I called my previous life because I started coding when I was 10 or 11 at school. And I always thought I'll be coding forever because I loved uh, the challenge it brought and the creativity which is required in some of the problem solving. Uh, and after my engineering courses, I joined in forces as a coder, worked on AS 400s, and I have to say that's where it ended for me. Um, and I said, you know what, I need to go back to college and do things which were even more creative. And uh, that's when I got into marketing, where there's no right or wrong answer, but still required a lot of data still requires a lot of analytics and as i say it's a it's a mix of economics behavioral sciences and statistics and that definitely appealed to me mm. so i got into ANZ and um, found my way back to technology after more than 20 years to be honest where suddenly all my previous knowledge and experience is coming in handy um, and it's been good to be on the other side but uh, I would say, like, just I was saying, marketing required economic statistics and behavioral sciences in the past. Now, increasingly, you can't be a great marketer without understanding technology. You can't run a world-class marketing organization which doesn't know how to interact with the consumers because most of the consumer interaction 
yeah. is happening on the app. It's happening on the websites. It's happening on, you know, um, it's happening in many different ways where you need to learn to leverage it. So I'm so blessed to have that experience, but I definitely yeah. hadn't planned it like that. Yeah, because I mean, technology people and marketing people have different personalities, right? They're probably on the opposite end of the spectrum personality-wise. I mean, that's a generalization, but I think for a lot of people, that's actually true. For you, it's obviously not <laughs> because you, you're doing both. But um, in clearly different skills are required for each role. You've got both skills. Um, but, but how do you, I guess, work through any differences that, that CMOs and CIOs may have? I mean, is, is that something that you think um, is crucial, that, that, that there are personality differences and, and the two have got to actually learn to work well together? So I have to say, um, ANZ is quite fortunate because they've got a marketing leader who's got a bit of a technology background and we've got a CIO who used to play a CMO role in one of his previous lives, right? So we do understand each other's worlds quite well. I have to say, I'm the one who relies on him probably much more than he needs, you know, I'm a, I'm a much tiny part of, sorry, uh, bear okay. with me. It's all right. It's all right. Got puppy who wants to participate in the panel as well. That's right. It's the way of the world these days, it's fine. <laughs> uh, she's got a few things to say, I'm sure. But um, but literally, it's, uh, you know, I rely on my CIO, Gerard Florian, a fair bit because, as I said, you know, if I need to drive revenue and deepen re relationships with the customers, I can't do it without technology. Whereas he's got, you know, many other functions, many other businesses or aspects from operations to everything else that he's trying to solve for. So I'm a tiny part of yeah. his ecosystem, but he's a very important part of my deliverables. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And Bobby, let me bring you in here. You um, have just recently moved on from your role as the CEO at CHU Underwriting Agencies. Um, you've been an IT executive at, exec at organizations like Multiplex Group in Zurich. You were elevated to CIO and executive, COO and executive GM at Zurich in uh, 2011 and 2012, becoming, before becoming uh, your, your recent role as CEO. Um, now, being on both sides of the fence, what have you learned about the intricacies of the relationship um, over that time? Yeah, look, it, it, yeah, it, it's a fascinating one because um, there are very few, as I said earlier, there are very few CEOs that come from that kind of a, of a tech background. So I, I, get this, um, I get this understanding of how things can work really well. So if, if I look at the, the, first, the first serious CIO role that I had was with, uh, was with Zurich in Australia. And the relationship with the CEO, a guy called David Smith at that point in time, who knew about as much about technology as you could write on the back of a stamp, was phenomenal because there was a trust and there was a, it was, there was a partnership. And that was back in 2007. And there was, a, there was a level of partnership there that meant that I was able to be the best that I could be in terms of um, supporting the business strategy. And he absolutely trusted the direction. We delivered everything that was committed to and the business went from strength to strength on the back of it. So you have that kind of an experience. And then then I move into to doing the same, you know, as a CEO myself, which, which was great and, you know, enabled me to, to bring all of the previous experience to, you know, to bear. But the epiphany that I had is that the, uh, the ability for organizations to win, 
to change, to transform, um, is absolutely dependent on the partnership between the CIO and the CEO. Because if that partnership isn't there, the CEO will risk manage the organization and make every decision based on what it is that they know themselves, which oftentimes is very little about technology, versus what they can trust a professional and strict strategic CIO to do. So if that relationship works, it's amazing the power that can be unlocked. And if it doesn't, and I've seen it, I've seen organizations so limited by the fact that the CEO will only do what it is that they understand themselves mm. as opposed to what they can gain by tapping into the knowledge of, of, of specialists in the area. Yeah, for sure. Rowan, do you, do, you have any, do you agree with that? Do you have any sort of anecdotes or, around what Bobby's actually saying there? That Have there been situations where, you know, perhaps in the past with your, in, throughout your career where <clears throat> I guess the relationship with the CEO and the CEO hasn't been so good? Um, and, and perhaps the, the, the result of that has been, I don't know, a, a, a technology strategy that doesn't really hit the mark? Oh, I think in most organisations, that's probably the case. Um, yeah. You know, without being flippant about it, 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 it really, um, you know, uh, having that really, really great working relationship and that understanding, that deep understanding of what each other needs and wants um, for the organisation is actually pretty rare. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got a great example when I was in the Northern Territory, my chief executive there, um, he was a, a cattleman, um, knew a little bit about tech, but not really. Uh, but he knew enough to know that I knew what I was talking about and to let me go and do what I needed to go and do. Um, as a result, we used, um, we deployed artificial intelligence to count fish in Darwin Harbour. Um, we used the MBN um, and, and did a whole lot of networky stuff, um, uh, solving uh, broadband in the bush um, as a challenge for, for remote cattle stations. Without that chief executive, um, I would have been just doling out laptops and phones, frankly, and, and he gave me, um, you know, the imprimatur to, to go and do what I needed to go and do and solve problems and work with the business and, 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 and deal with the, the situations as they arose. And there was the odd laptop and phone that I needed to fix too. Yeah, for sure. Now, um, James, when we spoke the other day, you were talking about the democratisation of technology. A lot of people talk about this. They talk about democratisation of technology and particularly the democratisation of data across organisations because data is so important these days. Um, as, as, as these things change how sea levels work together because data is, is people say that data is a new oil right now and, and everyone's realising that, that they need to make better use of their data. Is, is that sort of moved the, the needle a bit as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, digital data technology are, are that major driver of difference and competitive advantage. And, uh, and it's been essential that there's got to be that um, democratization of, of technology in order to really leverage that and, and empower um, leaders across the organization. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, the, the majority of the population, and so thinking about mindsets within the organization, the majority of us are carrying around really powerful computers in our pockets yeah. in the form of uh, smartphones. Um, yeah. And so tech literacy is, is that much greater, our expectations are, are that much higher. And I think um, you know, the, the role of the CMO is not an enviable one. Uh, when it comes to finance, people don't hesitate to say they need the, they need the input of a, uh, an expert. Um, 
but uh, the general population, we're all experts, self-proclaimed experts in, in tech, aren't we? Yeah. Um, the, the, the centralized model for technology, in my view, can't work in this, in this current world. And data and putting data in the hands of those people who need it is how we can really step forward. Uh, driving the, the data-driven decision-making culture, getting um, less reliant on gut feel. Yeah. Uh, and the, the data for me is the driver of value. And I don't mean value solely from a financial value perspective. I mean value in creation in all that we do. Um, and I think when I reflect over my career and think about the evolution of leadership teams that, that I've worked with and, and in, um, data and information has been a critical part of that. Reporting has moved from being time-consuming to being real-time. And, yeah. um, you know, we, we're not reliant on stats anymore. We're reliant on insights. And historicals have given way to predictive analytics. And, um, you know, one of the critical things in terms of how C-suite leaders work is that data has allowed all of us to see clearly how business drivers um, develop and, uh, and allow us to deliver upon the organization's strategy. Leaders can see business value that they and their portfolios are creating all the way through the end-to-end -end product and service delivery. And Shweta, I'm sure that that's playing out um, in that way uh, at ANZ Bank. I mean, you're, you're dealing with, with so much information all the time, so much customer information. Um, you know, has is what, what data is playing a huge role, I imagine, and, and is that working well for you at the moment, or is are different C areas of the C suite working quite well together to, to make sure that you're getting the most out of your data to create new products? Bharat, the opportunities with data are limitless, and I think uh, that's true for ANZ, and I think um, there are implications for every function. Marketing is no different. And uh, in the area of marketing, you know, when I think about deepening the personalization, whether it's from the point of view of acquisition to onboarding, to deepening the engagement, retention, everywhere, we're relying on data and technology to go forward. So in our case, we've come up with almost like a whole area of work, which is personalization, which frankly, we co-own it because marketing can't do it alone, data can't do it alone. <laughs> and uh, tech can't do it alone. So we've come together as leaders, we're sponsoring it together, and we are unlocking extreme amount of uh, value for the bank with very tiny, frankly, existing infrastructure, existing investments, mm. but just by reconfiguring, reconfiguring our tech, our channels and our data such that we can get more value out of it, we are seeing uh, this so much of opportunity and it's making data look good, it's making technology look good, it's making marketing look good, and most importantly, our consumers are winning because we're providing better experience, right? So we definitely see uh, that as an opportunity, and the way I call it is if data is the oil, um, consents and preferences is the key, and MarTech is almost the vehicle with which we are providing all the services mm. and experiences to the consumer, you know, and you know, in the world of personalization, where we're talking about ecosystems, platforms, all of it, if you don't have that basic foundational capability, yeah. you cannot really deliver anything else. So, so that's it. I definitely see data, CDO and CIO are my partners in crime. Mm. Uh, do my work every day. Yeah, for sure.
Bobby, what's your view on that? I mean, what, what sort of experience did you have as a um, working with the rest of the business as a CEO um, when, it come, when it came to getting most out of your information and democratizing technology? Yeah. You see, the interesting thing about running an insurance company is um, the process of underwriting and the decision of underwriting is completely data-driven. Um, and even of, of determining whether a claim is a legitimate claim, et cetera, and, and triaging the claim. Yeah. So through the process of, of, of the time at CHU, um, the, the information was actually always there. The data was there, but it was never being used. And so really through, through being able to leverage the data, um, we managed to get superior underwriting outcomes. So, so more accurate understanding of the risk and the price of that risk. And, uh, and also from a, from a claims perspective, but, uh, but th through this, we got a better financial outcome for the organization, a more timely outcome for the customer, because now as opposed to waiting for five different increasingly wise people to make a decision, the decision is made based on, based on data, but we doubled the size of the business and our headcount remained flat. So yeah. a business that is a better business providing a better customer outcome um, that, uh, that is actually not increasing its expenses as a result of, of being able to deliver that. And so data, again, for insurance companies, data is king. And then it's being able to, it is, it's being able to, to generate the insights. It's being able to leverage that data. It's no good having 30 years of data sitting in a freaking warehouse if yeah. you're not doing anything with it, you know? And a lot of organizations, by the way, they've got lots of data. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'd like to thank you all for, for taking the time to be part of this conversation. It's been great to get some insights from, from everyone uh, um, in different areas of the C-suite. And uh, I really do appreciate you all taking the time and being a part of the CO show. So thank you, guys. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for joining us today on the CO show. We hope you've enjoyed it. Next week, CO's Associate Editor David Bidding is back to host the next in our industry vertical series on law enforcement and emergency services. Keeping our people and communities safe has never been more challenging. Our cities continue to grow apace with more people on the move, on our roads and public transport networks, more concentrated living at the same time as higher incidences of extreme weather and other events. Meanwhile, criminal activity continues to rise in volume and degree of sophistication. In this episode, we're going to talk to CIOs and expert analysts about the role technology is playing today in helping law enforcement and emergency services operate faster and smarter with more coordinated operations and safer communities. We hope to see you then. Bye for now.